going on, everybody? Come on, keep your hands together for our crew down in Plant City, watching live right now. What's up, guys? Miss y'all. And all of all, our family down in South Shore with our South Shore campus. We'll give some love. And could you put your hands together for yourselves? This is Tampa campus in the house. Amazing campus and all of those watching online. I'm so glad that you're with us and I am excited to be here. This is Pastor Appreciation Month. We take a minute to just honor Pastor Greg and Pastor Tamara for their amazing leadership. I just want to say thank you to them. Can you make some noise for them? I'll let them know how much we love them. So glad. And we are in a new series uh, that we started last week. It's called The Invisible Enemy. And so I'm excited to be here with you, ready to get it started. Uh, I wanted to, we, we had a, a pretty cool weekend uh, this past weekend. Me and my wife went to Tennessee. And yeah, we were down there in the country music capital, which is right up my alley for Plant City, right? We, was, we were there. And, uh, and so in, in, in Tennessee, we were able to, to go spend some time in Nashville, and, and then we, we drove over to Memphis uh, for a wedding that was there, and, and got some of them ribs and them blues, and uh, they were both delicious. I loved them both. And so while we were there, we, we got to, it was kind of a cool thing for me, because I got to hear stories. Uh, these are college friends of my wife, and and so I kind of got to hear some of her stories and some of the tales uh, that you don't always get to know because this is, this is pre-marriage, right? And so uh, I got to hear some of her, some of her neat, neat little stories and all that. And, and, and I did notice there was a drastic difference, though, between me hearing the stories with her friends and the time she went to my reunion and heard my stories. When I heard her stories, I was like, that makes sense. That's sweet. That's awesome. She was kind. She was, my stories, I can't even tell you right now because I'm on a stage in a church. And they were just drastically, drastically different. In fact, we were at a, a reunion. I was talking to a, a friend of ours or mine from, from back in the day. And my wife uh, told her that, that I was a pastor and she literally started to choke on her food. And so I was like, well, I guess you've made a change if you kill people with your testimony. Like, <laughs> send them straight to Jesus. That's what I was, that's what my story does. But it was, uh, she, she, used to, I mean, she used to have to walk around when people found out she was dating me. Uh, you know, Plant City is a small town. And, uh, and they, she would always have to say, well, he's not the guy you knew. <laughs> and it's true. Uh, by the time we met, I, I was a brand new man. And, and God has a, a way of doing that, doesn't he? He has a way of turning things and changing your story. And, and so we want to get into this today because we do not want to live a life where we fear the past, where we're chained to the past where we uh, feel obligated to the past. God has a future story for you. And I want you to know it's a good story. Amen. God's ready to write your story for his glory. It's a, look at that, that was rhyming. I'm, I'm up here rapping right now. Play me a beat, DJ. And, and so I wanna pose to you a couple verses 
And, and the problem is presented in the Old Testament. The problem is presented actually in Jeremiah chapter 13, verse 23. And it goes like this. Can an Ethiopian change his skin or a leopard its spots? Neither can you do good who are accustomed to doing evil. So can an Ethiopian change his skin or a leopard change his spots? Neither can you do good who are accustomed to doing evil. It's, it's, now, I, I think there are some people, Michael Jackson changed his skin. I don't know if this was pre, <laughs> this was before. I think I've changed my skin because I am black on the inside. And at some point, had a lady one time came to meet me for a business meeting. We've been talking on the phone for weeks. And she came, she showed up, and she said, hey, I want to stop by. I said, come on, stop by. So when they called my name and I came out of my office, she said, <laughs> like that. I was like, oh. So we got our meeting done, and, and she said, you mind if, I, if I'm honest with you? I said, you thought I was an old black man, didn't you? <laughs> she said, that's exactly what I thought you were. <laughs> I'm deep south black. That's what I am. But why is it so hard for us to change ourselves? Even the Bible is like, it's impossible for you to change yourself. And I think a couple of the reasons are our habits. We create habits. You know, uh, the prophet Warren Buffett, um, he said, he said uh, chains of habit are too light to be felt until they're too heavy to be broken. Isn't that true? Chains are, of habit are, are too light to be felt until they're too heavy to be broken. So often we, we start to walk in a journey and not even realize it. Next thing you know, we're bound up. Or in good ways, we're connected to something. If you create a habit of, of studying the word, that's a good thing, right? Well, when you first start, you don't even notice its effects. But after a while, you notice the power it has connected you to. Same thing happens with negative things in our life and characteristics. We create habits that lock us up sometimes. And habits, as some of you know, if you've ever smoked or drank or dipped or any of that stuff, you understand how hard those habits can be to break. In fact, they oftentimes will just create medicine that changes one habit for a different habit, right? I mean, that's the point of the gum. So we're going to change out your nicotine smoking addiction for this gum addiction. I guess it's better for you. At least your breath smells good. But we only have our habits. We also have our nature. We have a sinful nature. Romans 8, it tells us pretty clearly that, that we, we live, we have this sinful nature. And if we, if we live by this sinful nature, what happens is our minds get set on it, it says. So we become set based on the nature that we have. And you know we have a sinful nature because you can look at a child and tell. You ain't got to teach a three-year-old to lie. It comes natural. Now, some of you have perfected it. But a three-year-old is natural, right? Got food all over their face. Did you eat them cookies? Nope. <laughs> what cookies? 
So we have habits, we have this nature, this sin nature, we have traditions. Now traditions are just belief systems and behaviors that, that we consider normal. We might have got them from our family, we might have picked them up from our friends, we might have developed them over time but as coping mechanisms, but these are our beliefs or, or strategies that we think are normal. And sometimes you can sit inside of a mess and not even realize it. So my wife and I, years ago, we started a screen printing business together, and, and there's a chemical that we use to break down some of the ink, and this chemical is rough. It is very strong. It's like getting maced, okay? And so I had, was in there just making these t-shirts, and I was cleaning these screens and using this ink, and, and next thing you know, I don't even realize I can't smell it. I don't notice it. I'm just breathing it in, just having the time of my life. Probably high as a kite, I'll be honest with you. My father pulls up, and when he enters the yard, he can smell it. And he comes in, and he could not even stand in the room. But to me, it had become normal. The truth is that you can never be set free from anything that you think is normal. Never. That's why you need the Holy Spirit to begin to lead and guide you on a daily basis. Because without the Holy Spirit, how are you supposed to know what's normal? What God intended? What his actual plan is? And so we have these situations that are just so hard for us to change who we are. You know, there's a how many of you have ever seen the movie Pretty Woman? You seen Pretty Woman? So just, I'm going to spoil it for you. If you ain't seen Pretty Woman yet, it was 1990, guys, all right? Like, don't tell me, like, oh, I was going to stop by Blockbuster on the way home. And, it, it's not cool. All right. So, so in Pretty Woman... There, there's a prostitute played by Julia Roberts, and, and as is normal, she is uh, wooed by a wealthy, good-looking Richard Gere, right? And, and her life gets changed in, at, at the end of this movie, and she lives happily ever after. It's a fairytale story. But this was the, the big date movie of the 90s, right? That's what this was. I don't know if you, any 90s romantic 90s couples we have in here, but, uh, but the, the 90s was, was where it was at. I don't know if y'all know that. That was, that's where it got good, okay? We survived the 80s. 70s were just weird, all right? And so, and so at this moment, uh, uh, she, she, she has this fairytale ending, but I don't know if you know this. The story, the actual story, the original script was not the one you saw. The original script to Pretty Woman had her dying at the end of the movie. Can you imagine how different the story would be? So Julia Roberts is set to die as a result of her choices and her lifestyle. But here's what happened. Disney came in right before the movie was filmed. And they bought the rights to the story. Some of y'all been in church for a minute, know where I'm going with this. Bought the rights to the story. And they said, we don't like the way that story ends. So we want to change the ending. And because they owned the rights, 
regardless of how the story was intended to be written, it could be changed. And I came to tell you this morning that God has set himself in your life as the owner. And if you will submit your rights to him, he'll change your story. Your ending will be better than it began. You don't have to walk away in the middle of the movie. Don't give up on the book just yet because your story is not over. Now, the solution is laid out in the New Testament. And that's kind of really how the whole Bible is set. The problem is displayed in the Old Testament that we can't follow the law. And the New Testament brings the solution in Christ. But in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, we see the solution to this problem. It says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old has gone, the new is here. Now, so the question was, can a man change his skin? No, cannot. But can a man's skin be changed? Absolutely, yes. Can a leopard's spots, can he change his spots? Absolutely not. But can a leopard's spots be changed? 100%. In the power of Christ, when we are in him, anything is possible. Don't believe the lie that your past somehow defines you, that the way you were born somehow defines you, that your situation somehow defines you, because it is absolutely got nothing to do with how your story ends, nothing at all. But I was born this way. I can't, I can't make myself something new. You're absolutely right. We were all born into a sinful nature, but God is in the make it new kind of business. He's got a, an amazing ability to put his hands on a story and rewrite things in a way that you could have never dreamed of. He's got a way to step into your broken children's lives and change the trajectory of their destiny forever. Just with a moment, just one encounter with his presence can set free generations of captivity, his presence sets stories free. This is called regeneration, this idea. Now regeneration, I love this definition. Regeneration is the process of renewal, restoration, and growth that makes organisms resilient to events that cause damage. Anybody in here ever been damaged? Just me? You gonna leave me up here by myself? No, no, no damage. Anyone been damaged? Plant City, South Shore? You been damaged? I've probably damaged some people at Plant City myself. God has given us an amazing, absolutely amazing ability and capacity for regeneration. Just, just in us naturally. It's kind of cool. For example, the liver. 
You know, the liver cells, they regenerate, they replace themselves every year to a year and a half. You can lose three quarters of your liver and it will grow back. Pretty amazing. The hippocampus, some of y'all are like, what's Plant City know about hippocampus? Like a science class. Everybody knows hippocampus is where the hippos go to camp. That's, everybody knows that. It's what I'm about to get to. Actually, that's the name of our next campus. There's Plant City campus, you got your hippocampus, and then, so, come on, that wasn't funny. Just stop. That was stupid. So, so uh, here's what they found. The hippocampus is, is located inside, deep inside the brain, and it, it reproduces itself every 20 to 30 years. And it, it's, a, it's one of the only uh, mechanisms that produces progenerin. Like, like it's, a, it's a type of a cell that can turn into other cells. Pretty cool. So it reproduces brain cells every 20 years or so. In fact, individuals with depression and PTSD, are, they found that they, in scans, that they're often, their hippocampus is smaller than normal, especially during times of depression. In fact, I don't even, I really don't care. Some, some people have a physical hippocampus type issue that's creating depression, and some of you are simply under the attack of the enemy. God says there's a spirit of depression, a spirit of fear, of anxiety. Of course, we ward that off with the garment of praise because it's impossible for you to be thankful and, 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 uh, and fearful at the same time. It's impossible for you to be ungrateful and grateful at the same time. It's, it's impossible for you to miss the things and the blessings of God in your life when you're thanking him for them. And so I don't even know what, what's your situation, whether it's physical or spiritual, what, it doesn't even matter because God is still the healer. He's still able to do exceedingly abundant what we thought, hoped, or imagined. He's still in the business of setting things new and right. And there were so many people dealing with depression and anxiety and fear. And so I want to I take this little moment right here. And I want, if you have dealt with depression or anxiety, this is at every campus. This is Plant City South Shore online right here at Tampa. If you have dealt with depression, anxiety, PTSD, I want you just to lay your hand on your head for a moment. And I want us all to, to just say this together. Y'all repeat after me. Say, Father, we declare a complete healing on our minds. We declare that every broken place be made right. If there's chemical imbalances, you are our balancer. If there is a spiritual attack on my life, we command it to be removed right now. We give you all the glory because I am no longer a victim of depression, anxiety, and fear. Set me free right now in the name of Jesus. Come on, can you give God a praise for, for deliverance, for healing? We believe somebody got free. The hippocampus is amazing. I think that's pretty cool that it regenerates every 20, 30 years. Think about, because you, the way you think changes about every 20 years. Right? I mean, think, think about it. You, from zero to 20, you basically got brain damage. 
But you're just trying to get going. You're just, you're just cranking the engine. It's not even working properly yet. You just found out that you had a brain. Like, it's crazy. And then, and then from 20 to 40, you learn this little secret that little choices make a big difference. You used to be able to eat four pizzas at night before you went to bed. And you woke up less weight. You lost weight. But now, if you smell a donut, you have to go to the store and buy new pants. Which, by the way, the greatest invention in modern history is stretchy denim. Woo! This is a 34. That was like... 10th grade. <laughs> and then from 40 to 60, you think about it like you learn the concept that success, your idea of success is a little more flexible than it was when you were 20. You thought you was going to be one thing and you realize that stuff wasn't important at all. And then when you're between the 60s and 80s, don't leave you out because you, you, you learn how to better deal with obstacles. Your brain functions differently, right? Like grandparents, God bless you. When I want to get onto my kids, for some reason, it's not a big deal now for my grandparents, my parents. <laughs> what my kids did, they just, oh, they just babies. They just, oh, that's sweet. You beat me for that same thing. But suddenly that's sweet. Oh, I'm supposed to be just understanding. <laughs> but you are better at dealing with obstacles. And, and I won't leave out our last group, our 80 to 100. They're just glad to be alive. You just wake up in the morning, just, we did it, March. We did it. Another day. Woo. Roll the dice on tomorrow. I don't know. We got today. Go make me some breakfast, baby. And so, uh, not only that, we, we know that the hippocampus it has this amazing regeneration ability, but, but the, the science tells us that our fat storage cells actually replace each other every 10 years. But I don't believe the science at all. Because I'm pretty sure mine just add. There's no replacing. None of them went away. They're still there. But I want to go through the regeneration process with you real quick. This is, what, this is what God laid out in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. To do so, we're going to back up a couple verses to, to verse 11. Because the first thing you need to know, the first step in regeneration, living a new life that God has created for you, is going to be new ownership. New ownership. 2 Corinthians tells us, uh, in verse 11, tells us that since then, we know that, uh, we know what it is to fear the Lord. We try to persuade others what we are is plain to God, and I hope it is also plain to your conscience. Since then, we know what it is to fear the Lord. That word fear is the word phobos, which is where we get the, the word phobia, Okay. And it's got 
two meanings. One of them, obviously, is fear, to be afraid of something. But the other meaning to this word is to have reverence as if for your husband. Because the truth is, to fear the Lord, if you are unsaved, you should be afraid. There is something that you don't want to get to on the wrath side of the Lord. Because he is a just God. But he's loving, yes. And he's just. And they are not exclusive. They don't cut, cancel each other out. He's just as loving. That's why he sent his son. And that's why he gives us opportunity after opportunity. Because he is so loving. But what we know for believers is the second definition kicks in. That we have reverence as if for our husband. And that word Lord, it's not so much his name. Like this isn't like, you know, Jehovah, Yahweh or nothing. It's not his name as much as it is the role that he plays. It is the word kureos. And kureos is, is the one to which another person belongs. So since then, we know what it was like to fear God without knowing him. And we know what it's like to reverence the one that now owns us. Then we get to, to attempt to persuade others I hope you see a change in me and you can accept Christ as well. But he says, but we are made plain to God and I hope plain to you. And, and he says it like this. I hope you can see the authentic change that God has done in my life. And I hope you respect it and I hope you love it. But if you don't, God still sees me plain. Yeah. That actually means he sees me and fully knows me. I am understood. Anybody ever felt misunderstood? Sometimes you, you try to make changes and the people around you start pulling on you. Sometimes it's your family. Sometimes it's your friends. And they start to try and pull you back into some old lifestyle try to pull you back into some guilt, try to pull you back into some situation that you have been freed of, and they may not fully understand what God has done in your life. But I want you to know, when you leave here today, you don't have to feel guilty at all. I hope you see what God has done in my life, but if you don't, he does. And that is all I need. Salvation is about ownership. 1 Corinthians chapter 6 tells us you are not your own. You were bought with a price. And I'm afraid that we have done so many of you wrong in the church globally for the last couple hundred years where we've tried to present this patty cake faith this sort of like cute baby Jesus 
You know, y'all seen Talladega Nights? They were a little five pounds, six pounds, baby Jesus. Like, I like Jesus with a T-shirt, a tuxedo T-shirt. Y'all don't know, somebody, nobody ever seen Talladega Nights. Okay. They're going to go by Blockbuster on the way home. See if they got it. And so, and so we try to present this idea of like, just, you're just asking this sweet Jesus into your heart. Bless you, my child. And we forget to tell people, when you do that, you are giving over full rights to your life to him. You have said, I have tried to own my life and I've, I can recognize it doesn't work. And I give you full access and ownership of every part of me. Every part. That is salvation. Salvation is about new ownership. But once you get that concept down and you, you get new ownership, you, you get the next step, which is a new identity. You get a new identity. In verse 12, it says, we are not trying to commend ourselves to you again, but are giving you an opportunity to take pride in us so that you can answer to those who take pride in what is seen rather than what is unseen. And I want you, I'm going to kind of explain the context of this. It's a little bit tricky here, but Paul is basically being pretty snarky. You know what snarky is? He kind of being smart mouth with them, right? And, and so, so Corinthians is, is the church in Corinth. There's a, this is a letter to the church at Corinth. And the, the, the city of Corinth was an extremely prosperous city. And, and it was in a perfect location for transit and for business. And Corinth had a huge Greek and Roman religious influence. And, and they had the idea that if you were going through struggle, then that means that the gods didn't favor you. And so they started bringing this outside context into the church. And so even though Paul started the church and he began to share some of his struggles and his stories, they looked at him and said, well, since you have struggles, you must not be as holy or as saved. And they started judging people based on the resource in their wallet, not on the character in their heart and the work that God was doing in their life. And, and, and he said, you got to stop that. Because you, you can't judge me because I have struggles. You can judge me based on the promise that God has given me. The new destiny that he has placed in me. The change that he has put in me. But you cannot give me hard times because I have a hard time. God is not interested in your comfort and your convenience. Because it is not convenience that is the currency of heaven. He didn't come that you might be convenient. He died that you might be free from slave and death and hell and the grave. And he died that you might be his. He's bought you with a price. And, and, and the truth is that we are not you can't read our circumstance and determine our destiny. You can't read our current situation and, and determine whether or not God is for me. I'm chasing him with all I got. 
then go chase God with all you got. And so, and in, in, in he even kind of references 1 Samuel where he says, the Lord does not look at things like people look at them. People look on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks upon the heart. Aren't you glad that he can see your heart? This, this new identity in Christ, it breaks chains that bind us to the past. You know, in verse 14 and 15, it tells us that one died, therefore all died. In other words, your obligation to the past is as broken as if you were dead. The old you died. You don't owe the bills you owed when you were living. Nobody collects debt from the cemetery. You don't owe from the past. God has set you free. Now, are there physical situations you walk out? Yeah. Sometimes you got to walk out some results of choices. But your guilt, your limitation, your spiritual oppression, your, your defeat, all of that is gone. You get to walk in the righteousness, the fullness of God. When I understand I have this new identity, someone trying to hurt me by bringing up my past is like robbing my old house. That's not my stuff. I, put, I live somewhere else now. And once you get this new identity, you, you get to have a new experience. And that's where verse 17 came in. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, understand this is for anyone. This is a promise for anyone. The context of your childhood is not a limiter. The wounds of your heart is not a disqualifier. Your sins that you've committed do not prevent your access. There is no limitation. It says anyone. You know what the Greek of that is? Anyone. Anyone that is in Christ. Because it's the promise is for those in Christ. It is not for those in religion. It is not for those in themselves. It is not for those in tradition. It is for those in Christ. And when you're in Christ, you, it means that Christ becomes your atmosphere. He becomes your atmosphere. You, you complaining about there are not enough Christians at your job. That's why he puts you there. If only I had a job with more believers in it. That's why you're there. Because you're supposed to bring an atmosphere. A lot of times we see good kids go astray, not because they don't know better, but because the atmosphere of their home is not holy. We come in here and we clap and we sing and we look pretty. But what they experience at home is not righteousness. It's not consistent with the gospel. They live in an atmosphere that's not Christ. And we wonder why they wake up in bondage. But he is the atmosphere that we live by. He is our target. He becomes our target. He becomes our starting point. When we're focused on him, there is no distractions that can happen. When we, he is our starting point, we aren't walking uh, uh, toward victory. We're coming from it. We already have it. When he is our starting place, you start ahead of the game. Christ becomes your power source. He says, it is Christ that lives in me. He becomes your lens by which you see the world. Once you understand the forgiveness and the level that you've received, it is crazy how that changes the way you view people who offended you. Because you realize, if not for God, 
I would be them. Just as broken. So the word for creation in the scripture, I want you to understand it, it has an implication of, of being made specifically for the use of the owner. It's not like creation, like something that we just put out there. It, was, it, it literally means to be created for my use. Created for the use of the owner. So when you become a new creation, you have been re-shifted around and molded for his purpose. Paul reaches way back to Israel and Isaiah as Israelites are coming out of Babylonian captivity for this verse. Because he, he's, he's basically referring to Isaiah 43. Former, forget the former things. All that stuff I did in Egypt, forget that. Do not dwell on the past. All the stuff you've been going through in captivity, don't focus on that. See, I am doing a new thing. Because in verse 21, he says, the people I formed for myself that they may proclaim my praise. You were reorganized and re-engineered to bring him praise through your life. That is your new creation. And then we get a new purpose. And you can read that in verse 18 through 20 because he says, we have been given the ministry of reconciliation to bring others to him because we are ambassadors I don't know if you remember, some of you might be old enough to remember the story or, or the, the, the criminal, uh, the son of Sam. It was in the 70s, uh, in fact, 1976. So I was, uh, when he f killed his first person, I was like two weeks old. <laughs> All right, so this is, this is back then, okay? And because that's like, I'm like maybe 25 now. And then, so like you do the math. All right, so, so the son of Sam uh, was a serial killer who was in a satanic cult. And as a uh, member of the satanic cult, they were doing ritual killings. And so he would walk up to a car. It was in New York. It was the largest manhunt that had ever happened in New York City. And he would walk up to a car and he would just shoot somebody. We, we had a similar situation here in, at Tampa Heights, right? Uh, some, some just random shootings. And, and, and he walked up and he would shoot. He shot, shot six people. And he had, he had wounded nine, and he stabbed a couple as well. And, and he was just going through the city, terrorizing the city for about a year. Well, he wound up getting sentenced in 78. And it wasn't until 1987 that a prisoner came up to the son of Sam uh, and gave him a Bible. And he read a verse from Psalms, and it changed his life. He turned his heart over to the Lord, gave his life to Jesus, and, and started a new journey. So in 1987, he got saved, and now he ministers inside the prisons. And he, he writes letters, and he writes articles for Christian publications around the world about repentance and redemption. And he's used in the prison to minister to troubled criminals that come in when they have a trouble. They call him Brother David now. And when they, when they have a troubled criminal, they bring him to David Berkowitz, the son of Sam, serial killer, 
And he wrote a, a memoir, and he doesn't make any money off of these things. In fact, he got six life sentences, but the way that it works out, he was up for parole after 25 years. That was in 2003. And so he wrote a letter to the governor asking him to stop having parole hearings for him because they're mandatory to happen every two years. And he asked us, since you stop having these parole hearings because I'm where I'm supposed to be. I'm, I deserve the sentence that I'm serving. And I found purpose in prison. And so he wrote this memoir and he called it the son of hope because he wanted to no longer be defined as the son of Sam, but he wanted to be defined as the son of hope. And I thought, what an amazing story. And I remember walking into my house, reading that, that story, and God spoke to me so clearly. He said, there are grandmothers that are kind and gentle and loving. And there are people in the room that are kind and good and gentle and loving. And he said, and they will not make it into my presence, but the son of Sam, serial killer, will. It broke my heart. And he began to download to me. He said, there are people who, who come and you come to church. And the average, I don't know if y'all know this, the average attendance is in, in America for, for declared Christians is 1.4 times. I know the point four is because you come in halfway through the sermon. But 1.4 times. And, and he said, you can do that because I don't own their time. I don't own it. And it and then, and then he began to say, and you, you, you know, we think as believers, we give at Easter and we gave a homeless guy 10 bucks. And he said, the reason you can't give to the kingdom is because I don't own your money. I don't own it. And, and then we come in here and we let other people love on our babies, park our cars, clean up our lots, straighten these chairs out, practice for hours in the worship team, run all of our equipment so we can stream around the world. We let all of this stuff go on. We got people greeting as we come in, all of that. And we can sit here and let them do it because he doesn't own our energy. I need a day off. I work so hard. That's what he downloaded to me. And it was so heavy in my spirit because he said, the son of Sam David Berkowitz has given me all of him, just where he is. Does he own all of you right where you are? The prison is full of wicked crazy insanity and in that environment this dude has figured out a way to surrender all to him and we can't do it 
in the context of our American lifestyle. So my question for you is, you're in this room, you're watching online, you're at Plant City, South Shore, all those watching online. So, and if you're new, I'm not talking to you. They're, they're, you know who I'm talking to. You're, 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 I'm, not, I'm not trying to, I'm just got to share with you what God tells me. I don't. And so in this process, there were some of you who have given your life to the Lord and then you took it back. You know what I'm talking about? Like I, I set out, you're, you're Lord and Savior for me. But, but why don't I just run all this other stuff over here for you? Right? I'll run my schedule and I'll run my resources and, and I'll run my, my energy and, and I'll run the things around me. And then, and then I'll, I'll let you have Sunday morning for an hour and a half. Sound like a deal, God? Right? And so some of us have taken back ownership and God is speaking to you right now and and you know who you are and he's saying, release it back to me. I'm not mad at you. I don't hate you. I want to do something with your story that you just can't do. And so I need you to give full ownership back to me. Because the truth is, if he's not Lord of all, he's not Lord at all. And so he's wanting that back from you. And some of you maybe have believed the lie that, that you didn't have to, that it was some easy peasy, like it was just a cute little story. And you're hearing for the first time that God wants to own your life. And then there's some of you who have never made that declaration. And you're sitting there going, you know what? I know what he's talking about. I've been running my life and it doesn't work. I've been running my life and it's, it's off the rails. Or it's just, I need to be free from my past and I need this new purpose. Whichever one of those you are, we're going to pray together. If every head bowed, every eye closed at all of our campuses, I want you just to join me all across the room. Everybody repeat this with me. Say, Father, I know that I've tried owning my own life and I'm failing miserably. I might have things, but I don't have the peace of your purpose. I want to be new in you. Make me new. I give you my whole life, every part of me. You have my time. You have my energy. You have my resources. They're all yours. I accept your salvation and your ownership in my life from this day forward my past has no ability to hold me down but I live a new story in you because you have full rights to my tale thank you Lord I give it and I pray it in the name of Jesus amen Come on, with every head bowed and every eye closed, if that's you, still right in this moment, if you prayed that prayer, one of those categories doesn't matter. If you prayed that prayer, maybe for the first time, or you want to recommit yourself to, to the Lord, now's the time. 
So on the count of three at all of our campuses, you're just going to raise your hand. Plant City, South Shore, online, you can type it in, say, that's me. Whatever it is, listen, right here in this moment, on the count of three, one, two, three, raise your hand. Hold them up. Hold them up. Hold them up for a second. Our ushers are bringing you just a little card. Just hold them up for a second. Once you get the card, you can put your hand down. It's fine. All across the room. Online. If that's you, just type that in. Say, that's me. I'm making this commitment. Yes, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. The bleachers and the balcony. Hallelujah. Come on, if you would, everyone stand to your feet. And can we give God a giant praise for salvation? Salvation's all across the room. People coming home. People re-giving their, their whole life to him again. Listen, committing to his presence and his word. God is setting people free in this place. Come on. We thank you, Lord. Right here in this moment, our band is here. We're getting ready to worship. And as we do, our prayer partners are down here. I would not leave this atmosphere. Remember, this is the atmosphere that Christ has set. I would not leave this atmosphere without leaving the stuff I'm carrying at his feet. There's some hurts, some wounds, some old stuff you've been carrying around, and you need to lay it at his feet. So as I I walk away, the band begins to worship. Just consider this an open altar. Come, lay it at his feet. Let's do it. We're going to pray together, and then Pastor Wade will come out and wrap us up. But don't miss this moment. Come on, let's pray.